Greetings and welcome to Inside the Master's Studio, a behind-the-screens look into the art of GMing. Today, I am joined by Matthew Evans. Hello. I like to start from the very beginning. When did you first get involved with RPGs? I first got involved with RPGs way back in the time fog days of the late 90s. I had actually read a um, read a sci-fi book where one of the authors had credited RPGs as inspiring them uh, to get involved with writing. And so I really, really wanted to play RPGs. And I knew my dad had done it back in the day, but he wasn't doing it so much these days. I finally convinced him to do a short little session for me and one of my friends when he was spending the night, and I was hooked. It, it was absolutely uh, a lot of fun. And basically, I, I didn't do anything for a couple years after that, just because the occasion never came up. And then I was uh, gifted a copy of the Star Wars role-playing game, and been GMing games ever since. So you started off as a player before becoming a GM? Just for the one time, uh, literally. After that, I knew I wanted to to make the games, to do it for my, to, to run them for my friends. Because the GM role was just, it was more interesting because you got to kind of make the world do things, present situations to the players. Yeah, the player you could do you could do what you wanted as the player, but the GM just felt like it offered a lot more. Do you think it's important for a GM to have been a player? I think every GM should spend some time as a player. I do play in a couple games. I'm actually uh, preparing for a D&D game uh, later this month that I'm going to be a part of. It definitely gives you perspective of different styles and allows you to kind of take some of the pressure off yourself once in a while it's not for everybody i know there are some gms who just can't stand being a player and there are times where i have difficulty with it myself but it is a useful experience do you have any difficulty when another gm is having trouble with the system that you're familiar with sometimes Fortunately, a couple of them that I have played with were willing to sort of let me help help them out a little bit, uh, though I do try to keep my meddling to a minimum on that, just because I, I don't want to come across as uh, domineering in that respect, especially when I'm trying to be a player. Sometimes it's something where I would, where I can do that. Other times I need to, I, I have to remember to keep a step back, remember that it's not my game, not to cramp another person's style when they're trying to run. Have you ever had to deal with that as a GM? A couple times, yes. It can be, it can be difficult, because I, I want to be friendly, I want to be personable and affable, but at the same time, I, I have also had to politely tell somebody, hey... I'm I'm running the game here, you know. I may not have everything with the system down, but you know, give me a second. I'll get it all together, and we're gonna make this happen. And typically, they've they've been able to to back off for for a second, and we're able to get things get things resolved and get 
get the game moving again. So, for the most part, it's it's a it's mostly a drama free thing, which I absolutely loathe drama. So that's always a plus. What systems do you have the most familiarity with? Shadowrun 4th Edition, Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition, and uh, Iron Kingdoms, as well as uh, Paranoia. Those are the ones that I tend to use most often in games. Though I have been enamored of the Apocalypse World system as of late. Why does a new system get your eye? A system will get my eye if I... Look it over, it seems like it's got a good theme. And then I'll dive into it, and if the mechanics are kind of fit the system to a certain extent, or at least don't don't hinder the theme, don't get in the way of telling the story, then I will then I'll at least be interested in giving it a try. And if it helps tell a good story, if the mechanics help to tell a good story, then I'm going to be even more more eager to run it. That's part of why uh, Apocalypse World has had my attention uh, for the past few months, because it definitely, uh, a lot of the time, at the very least, the mechanics don't interfere with the story, and a lot of times enhance the storytelling mechanism for my players. Can you give an example? A lot of the time in Apocalypse World, you're rolling 2d6. A 10-up is, is considered, you know, you succeed at what you're doing, you might get a small bonus, but generally you, you do well. A 7 through 9, you're going to probably succeed, but you're going to pay some sort of narrative penalty for it. That will happen, and it's typically something that the player has to choose. They have to kind of decide how they are hindered as they progress. Like if you're playing Dungeon World, you know, you try and get, try and bull past a bunch of armed guards or whatever, and so you might lose an item in the process or something like that while you're doing that. And then your six under is considered a flat failure, and then the GM gets to make some sort of uh, move against you. You don't you don't succeed at your action, you fall down a hole, something. And so I like that idea of degrees of success, as well as being able to use those roles to take the story in different directions and having that meaning versus just beyond, okay, I hit this guy or I don't hit this guy. How about an example of a game system hindering the storytelling? Honestly, in some, some ways, Shadowrun can do that. It is a world that the fluff is absolutely wonderful. You love it. The mechanics are so bogged down and contradictory at points it feels like when i'm running it honestly i barely pay attention to the stats some of the time if i'm running it with people it's like okay what's your stat for this cool roll roll your giant pool of dice that you built up for your character and depending on how many successes they get there i'll i'll decide whether they succeed or not without really having a dc in mind at the start have you ever abandoned a game system before? At this point, I will not touch 3.5 or Pathfinder. I've tried. I've tried to make the systems work for me, at both as a player and a GM. And I just can't go back to them, even though it's what I cut my teeth on. Because the Star Wars version I got was the um, 
the Wizards of the Coast 3.5 version, so that's what I started out on, and I just can't do it anymore. It's the way they have the system built up. It's just it doesn't encourage telling telling a good story to me, at least from my perspective. In addition to the prep time for it being way more than I would like to spend for my typical game. What is the prep for one of your typical games? Depending on who I'm prepping for and what kind of game it is, it can be one hour to a couple hours. If I'm really enthused about something and I'm just completely going whole hog from scratch, I could even spend up to three or four hours preparing for a session, which typically, from what I'm from what I've gathered, is about the rule of thumb you want to do about an hour of prep or so, and even then, players are notorious for being able to derail what you have planned for them, so yeah, you can prepare for a lot of contingencies, but no plan survives first contact with the enemy, so I very much take that lax approach, especially if my players do want to take things in a completely different direction, so I can kind of flex the improv muscle a bit there and give them give them some interesting things to do outside of the, the pre-planned um, the pre-planned session. When you are starting a new game, do you start with the story, or the system, or the players? If I get into a new game, typically I've, I've got a system, and from there, I'll generally have an idea of what I want to do, but at that point, I'll want to get a hold of players and get their opinion of what they would like to do. Because everybody's getting around the table, wanting to spend a couple hours doing doing the game. Everybody should have fun. Not just one people, not just a couple people. Everybody needs to have fun. You want to tell the best story for the most amount of people you got there with you. So, at that point, based on what my players, based on what my players are looking at, what they want to do, then I can kind of shuffle and change things around a bit and make that work. So, in essence, the story is both the second and the fourth thing that I think of. Considering how off the trails players can take a game, how far into a game do you plot the story? Typically, I'll have a start. I might have an end, depending on where we're at. But otherwise... I usually plan a session, maybe two ahead, just to kind of give myself an idea of where I want to go next and have my players have something to do. Then also it's not so bad if things get changed around. I don't feel like I've lost time if uh, the campaign takes a detour. Like in Shadowrun, um, my players... (laughs) took a break from doing actual, like, runs and decided to go and basically go pursue some personal plot lines. And so I was like, okay, fine. I have some stuff for these personal plot lines set up, so we'll, we'll start fleshing this out more. I was meant A couple things were meant to kind of sort of be throwaway things that they could kind of go look at if they wanted to. But then they started really going whole hog on them. So, you know, I started planning planning those ones out while keeping the other stuff ready if they wanted to come back to it. 
one of the classic complaints a group may have against their GM is that they're guilty of railroading the party. Have you ever caught yourself doing that? Back in my early days all the time. Do you think railroading is a problem in general? Sometimes, yes. Um, You want to give your players the ability to feel like they've got choices in the world. So that's a lot of the time why I have that kind of laissez-faire attitude about about my games. But at the same time, sometimes players sometimes players do like to be told what to do. Sometimes they need need that guidance. I myself have had that from time to time, where I've been I've been dumped in a place and it's like I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Tell me what I need to do. And I get that I get sometimes I get a blank stare. Other times I've had my players sometimes get bogged down by their decision-making process. And so finally, at, at a certain point, I've had to cut them off and go, okay, you're either doing this or this, you need to make a choice. Usually, at some point, they'll come to a decision, but I might have to aid them in that. So, to a certain extent, railroading has a use, has a place in, in games, it's just not it's not a tool you should you should have to use often hopefully but do not feel bad if you if you do it and your players seem to be having a good time cuz ultimately if the players are having a good time things should be going well you should be having a good time if you're not it might be time to take a step back figure out what's going on what you need to do to kind of resolve that do you have a favorite system that you've gm'd for that is a very good question. I've got a couple that I would say I really, really liked. My favorite system I would run forever till the end of time if I if I only had one I could do ever again. That I could not say. Cause different systems have different things that I I enjoy about them and different things that they can do. Now I could certainly the settings are a part of some of those systems and I could take those settings and port them into other systems. But the mechanics of those systems are sometimes tied very intrinsically to what they do. So it's like, yes, I can take Paranoia and run it in Apocalypse World. But it wouldn't feel the same as running Paranoia. It'd be a, it'd be a different experience. So, things like that. I could take, and I could run Apocalypse World. I could try and run Apocalypse World style games in 4E. But it would feel very different from running Apocalypse World. Different mechanics, different dice, and it would be informed very differently. So, yeah, one system would be very, very difficult to narrow it down to in that regard. If a intellectual property already has a game system built specifically for it, you wouldn't try to run a game in a different system with that IP? I have done that before, and once more, it can be difficult. It's dependent on the property and the mechanics that they have built in for it, it can be a very different experience. Because the mechanics are are set up for specific reasons a lot of the time. And if they aren't, that's usually not fantastic design in a lot of ways. Because you're choosing to do these things for a reason. So, 
if you have a specific mechanic in a game and you issue that to go to play it, play this setting in a different system, um, as I said, it, it, it gets you a different feel. It provides different feedback. Essentially, you're putting in different inputs, getting results based on those inputs. And so it feels different if, if you get where I'm going with that. So would you ever play a Sith-themed paranoia? It wouldn't work a lot of the time. Because paranoia is built a lot around the idea of Alpha Complex and the, the fascist totalitarian government there, ruled by the computer. It's very, very different from the way I feel a Sith-themed campaign would run in any other in a Star Wars game or just running that you there's a lot of a humor and zanius that you wouldn't exactly feel like you could throw Star Wars stuff into paranoia and it would be it would be goofy and funny and silly but it wouldn't be Star Wars Star Wars has a very um slightly more melodramatic and operatic feel more seriousness to it there are moments of levity in it but it's not it's not a Marx Brothers comedy like Paranoia ends up being. You'd, it would end up being a very, very different game if you ran it like that. For you personally, do you have a general atmosphere for your stories? Mm. It is actually... It, it varies. Like I, I, I try to run to the system because it will... It generally helps inform where you want to go. Shadowrun runs differently from D&D in a lot of ways. You know, you want to, when you're playing Shadowrun, you play up your cyberpunk stuff, you play up the, the melding of man and machine with competing with the resurgence of magic versus D&D ends up being, you know, I'm going to go on an adventure somewhere, run a dungeon crawl, and all the all the trappings that that entails. So you get a couple, you get different vibes for those. With Shadowrun, the classic question for you would be pink mohawk versus black trench coat. I've seen it run, I've seen it go both ways. Sometimes in the same run. I actually had a, a run where my my players were absolutely brilliant did absolutely perfect planning, casing casing the target they were going to kidnap, and they essentially ran a leverage-style operation to sleaze their way into the target's penthouse and get her out without anybody realizing she was gone. It was perfect. And then they got tracked by the uh, by the security guards and just went into a a completely crazy street chase and started just tearing up parts of Seattle. It was like, you guys had this. It was, it was perfect. It was beautiful. And the only reason they tracked her was because of ritual magic. And you just decided to throw all caution to the wind at that point. Okay. In situations like that, do you ever feel compelled to fudge the roles or, Difficulty checks. It is dependent. Um, 
I usually prefer to let the dice go where they go, because that's supposed to be the way that works. Now, if it would tell a more interesting story for them to have that close shave, or for them to be captured, you know, once in a while, it's more like once in a blue moon, um, I might let that rule slide, or maybe bump that number up just a tiny bit if they're having too easy a time of it. But typically, it's... I tend to tend to hold my RNG pretty sacrosanct. And what about when it comes to player deaths? Player death is a very, very um, difficult topic to handle in some cases. Once more, it is dependent on the game that you're running. And if it tells good story, what you want to do there. You know, if you're just starting your game out and you're running something where you're planning this interesting story, it's going to really suck to have a main character die at level one. Sometimes it's, you know, expected people are going to die. You're running like a one-shot dungeon somewhere or you are playing paranoia. You know, you're going to die. These things are going to happen. And establishing that sort of level of lethality that you're expecting with your players at the start is important so that way people don't don't feel like they're being treated unfairly or unduly if you do end up killing off their player in what is going to be a game where um, lethality is something that you expect to have happen. How do you let the players know? I typically will will talk with them, get an idea, and basically talk it out and go, okay, so we're going to be running this game. You know, we're running Shadowrun. This is a tor- this is a horrible, nasty, brutal world. There's a chance your play your characters may not come out at the end of it. And most of the time, as long as you express it with your players, they're going to be fine. They'll be okay with it so long as you're you let them know about it. Communication is a key thing. If you can't communicate with people, you're going to have a really hard time playing the game. So being able to get set those expectations, work with people. So that way everybody knows what to what to expect within a certain amount and have have a good time at the table is is very, very key. Are your games always with friends you know beforehand? Not always. I've run one shots at conventions, and I've also picked up groups via online forums and Rule 20. And most people they have their they have their own styles of playing, but when I make requests of them, they're usually pretty happy to pretty happy to work with me on them. Most people are there to have fun, but have you ever had to deal with the people that are there to win? Yes, it can be difficult. Yeah, it's something where you have to kind of sometimes swallow your pride. And remember that you're you're working here with everybody to have fun. Other times, it's polite to to kind of step in and take them aside for a moment. Maybe go, hey, you know, you might be dominating this, dominating the game here, or you know, this this scene might be a good chance to let someone else have the spotlight for a little bit, or the character that you made might have 
uh, might have some issues here, or some might be a little more powerful than what we're looking to do here. And, you know, like I said, communicate. Talk rationally with them. If they're an alright person and they're going to be able to talk things through, then you're typically not going to have a problem. But you got to talk. If you don't say anything and just let things lie, it ends up becoming a problem that gets bigger and bigger and festers until it erupts into a a game-killing argument. And nobody wants that. Have you had to deal with that lately? No, not at the moment. I've been in between games, uh, mainly for scheduling reasons. I'm always looking to start things back up again, but, you know, you just got to kind of take what take what you can sometimes and work through. But on the other hand, I also am a fan of the adage, no game is better than a bad game. You don't get into a game to be miserable, so it's better to, to wait for something you're going to enjoy to come along rather than do something you're going to hate. Have you ended a game prematurely? I've had to do that a couple times because things did not go the way that they should have gone. And so we had to kind of cut things short early so people could talk things out, maybe go home and cool off a bit. Usually by about the time after that, come back in the next week, everybody's pretty good after after that point. What's been your longest running campaign? Longest running? Uh, I think my longest running one was the Shadowrun campaign I did for, I want to say, just a bit over two years. We had that one going. It was a 2050 set game, and I was running them through through a couple of the classic runs and interspersing a couple personal things in between. Players loved it to bits and pieces. Unfortunately, that one fell apart due to changes in people's schedules. So, we're talking about trying to get it back together again now that things have stabilized out a bit. It's just that a couple of people work on different time frames, so uh, we aren't quite able to get get everyone together just yet. But hopefully we'll be able to do that soon. Have you run a game with a rotating cast before? I've thought about it a couple times. It's one of those things where I usually tend to plan for for a certain group. And so the idea of a rotating cast to me, one, it makes things uh, difficult to kind of plan, plan arcs out dependent on the story that you're wanting to tell. The other thing I find difficult is, uh, as a personal thing for me, it encourages people to go, oh, I don't have to necessarily show up. And then if everybody starts thinking that, then nobody starts showing up because, oh, somebody else will just take my place for the session. And then you end up with no game or rotating cast of zero. So I kind of, it seems like a good idea in theory, but it, my, my brain always jumps to the worst case scenario on it. What's been your most satisfying game? That might have been... It comes down to one of two games at that point. Well, yeah, one of two games at that point. It would come down to either the game I ran 
at the 2011 PAX Prime DMs Challenge. Not just because I won it, but because everybody at that table was having such a great time. I went away from that evening just feeling just about gosh darn euphoric. For those unfamiliar with the DM challenge, could you explain it? Absolutely. It's it. What it was was a an event where Wizards of the Coast would provide you the theming of the year. Typically, it was a new splat book they were releasing. That year was Neverwinter Nights, or they were doing a, a book on Neverwinter, and so you create an adventure based around that setting, that book. Uh, and some of the mechanics that they included in there. You'd write up the adventure, and then you'd go to PAX Prime, now PAX West, and and run it for a group of people, and they would rate you on your your skills. There, what they, how much fun they had with the game, whether the mechanics were incorporated, that sort of thing. Very subjective, and so I, I wrote this game up. It was about basically people trying to hook up with a resistance cell, and then one of the members of that resistance cell kind of betraying them, and they could either choose to either go on with the with the mission for the resistance or go fight this uh, traitor, essentially. And so they'd have to go chasing him through the 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 spell scar and stuff until they got to his his boss lair. And they 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 did that one. I had built up a second a second mission just in case they decided to go the other way. It was it was really cool. They had uh, they had to fight a giant tentacle beastie in the sewers, and then after that they clambered out into the streets and had to fight some some mind controlled folks in an ambush. And then they got to the the evil wizard. I built up a multi tier boss fight for him. Essentially, you know, you'd, you'd cut down his HP to a certain thing, and he would change out to to a to a to a different form and have different stats and stuff, and let him move around the arena. And, no, it was really fun. Everybody really liked the really liked the run. They had a great time and everybody came away with big smiles on their faces. How much time did you have to write this? I think they gave us a couple weeks, actually. <laughs> we had a couple weeks and I put it together in about I, I think this is the most I did for it was about six hours of prepping on it. Were there any specific inspirations for it? Honestly, the villain was kind of a Disney villain, actually. He he was he was a big evil wizard throwing around stuff, and he sang and danced was his thing. He was a Pratic, actually. Because he was Maestro Magianero. Did you also sing and dance? I couldn't dance at the table. I tried to sing a little bit. And they were appreciative of my my demonstration of his his apprentic range. Did you request that the players refer to you as the Dungeon Maestro? I did not. The thought did cross my mind, but I decided to, uh, to, to play cool. Play cool this time. For the DM challenge, did you pre-select characters that the players could play as? Yes, we we had to write the characters as well. Um, like I said, par- at least partially including some of the, the themes from the book. In one-shots, when you're prepping for a convention one-shot, you generally do want to write the characters because that allows people to jump into the system, 
without having to worry about going through character creation, because most of the time, that is a session in and of itself, if you're doing it from scratch. Unless it's a very, very light system, which sometimes you can get away with. You, you, you create the character, you, you pass it along to them, that also allows people to get an idea, okay, I want to be this guy, because you're a fighter, you have an idea what a fighter's going to do, and you're able to go on from there. Do you think character creation is something that should be done as a group, or individually and brought to a table? That, honestly, is a matter of personal flavor and what you what you decide as you go. Honestly, I've had, had things where I have told people, okay, this is the system we're running, we're going to be running it this time, get a character together, here's the book, if you need help, you know, let me know and I'll help walk you through it. Other times... I, I've had time, the, the fortuitous times where I'm able to get people together and all at once and go, okay, we're going to make your characters now. And people put things together at that point. My personal preference, I prefer to get people together to work on it just so they have a chance to cooperatively build and uh, hook each other into each other's personal stories. So that way... It's not just, you know, your random murder hobos decided to meet up one day and go take down the forces of evil. It's, you know, me, my brother-in-law, and my sister are going to go on this uh, wagon train and guard a merchant and ends up spiraling into, we. so we just investigated uh, a murderous witch who happened to be the priest's daughter. Well, great. Now what are we going to do? Which is more of a danger for you, GM fatigue or player fatigue? GM fatigue, easily. Um, I push myself a lot. I try to run a lot of things when I'm enthusiastic about systems. And eventually, if I, if I go long enough and allow myself to get pushed hard enough, I just... I I'll get I'll get tired out honestly it, like I a lot of the time I'll be happy with it but eventually I will I will need to step back recharge get some personal things done that I might have been neglecting and then come back fresh so I've been getting a lot better about not letting myself get burned out but it does still happen on occasion. So somebody and their four friends come up to you, tell you they've never played a tabletop RPG before, but they want to get started. What would you direct them to? Honestly, I'd have to ask more questions. Because um, it would depend on the type of game they want to play. I mean... If you just say, give me an RPG, I don't care what it is, then I'm probably going to throw you more towards D&D to start, because that's what everybody knows, and so you kind of get a feel for that. Now, if you come back and go, that's not quite what we wanted, or that was cool, we want more, then we can then we can go from there. Um, if you like your mechanic stuff, you, you start talking more about maybe older editions of D&D, Shadowrun... There are other things where, you know, the numbers are what, you, what you're what you looking at versus, yeah, that's kind of fun, I guess. Then I might move you towards more something like Apocalypse World 
or possibly even fiasco, depending on how, how rules-light and story-based you want to go. Given all the campaigns that you've played, do you have any NPCs that just stick with you? There's a couple of named characters that were always that are always interesting and I liked playing. Um, but I think the one that I really just I, I can never forget and I re- it's most partially because I refuse to let myself out of out of respect and memory is oh there's also them um so the one that the one that always sticks out to me the one that i i have and uh, love sticking in is in a fantasy game i will always have several the ogre if i can fit him in somewhere several the ogre is based on my friend's derek or my friend derek's character several the half ogre several uh, wanted more than anything to be a, a full-blooded ogre. And unfortunately, my friend uh, passed before uh, we could realize Several's wish, so it is always my um, my tribute to him that uh, Several does appear as an ogre somewhere. Strictly in fantasy games? Yeah, I mean, that's where you mostly fit ogres in. I mean, if I was, if I was running... I'm trying to think of where I would not... Uh, a place where I could put him in. Like, if it was some sort of, like, crossover game, like somebody was crossing over into a different dimension, I could also possibly, if I was running Changeling, though Wad is usually not my strong suit, I could fit him, I could fit him in there. But most of the time, he'll he'll show up in a fantasy game somewhere if I need some big bruiser, bouncer type guy. I guess telling the best amount of story for the most for the most people. That philosophy is one that uh, a couple of my gaming mentors imparted on me while we were writing various games, and it's it's not always an easy thing to to apply to or to to live by when you're doing this, but it is an important one to keep in mind. You want to have that good time with your players and basically communicate through the medium and tell a story that makes that makes people walk away going wow and if you can do that you're you've you've got it that's the secret honestly if you if you walk away with people going wow i had a great time then then you'll you'll go far gming wise do you always have an ending to a story before you begin not always not always. Sometimes it's, you know, we're doing pulp cereal. This is this is how it's going to be. You know, we'll keep doing adventures till you're sick of it and then we'll come back later maybe hopefully. Sometimes you you know exactly where you want to end. These guys have freed the lost legion. They have defeated the defeated the traitor's army and brought peace back to the kingdom. Fantastic. Good story. Curtains fall. Everybody takes a bow. What kind of story you want to tell, that you have to decide. Now, whether you decide it halfway through or at the start, that's up to you. What percentage would you say of your games you've run 
have concluded organically? Um, to be fair, maybe 25%. Most of the time, player schedules change. People move on. You don't always get a chance to finish. And that's life. Is there any that you've always kept in the back of your mind wanting to restart? I have sitting on my shelf a full set of uh, the Dungeons and Dragons 4th Edition modules. And I would just love to run that through with a group of people 1 to 30. Just to, just to have it, just to have done it. That's, that, that is my second biggest one that I had. I used to have my, my, my white whale used to be running the complete Witchfire trilogy, uh, for the Iron Kingdoms RPG when I, when I had first gotten that about, gosh, 10 years ago now. And I had been super excited for it. And I finally got the chance to run that a, a couple years back with a, with a group of people who love the setting. And so we had a blast with that. And that was, uh, that was a fantastic game. Uh, mainly my friend Grace loved her to bits and pieces. I was able to traumatize her something fierce with some of the things in that set of adventures. And she loved it. Everybody had a great time. Got to do all sorts of cool heroics and uh, crazy stuff. So... That was fun, but the D&D one, that one I would always love to do. The other one that I that jumps to mind that I didn't get to finish, I haven't gotten to finish my Shadowrun campaign. Like I said, I'm trying to get that back up and running. Hopefully I'll be able to do that soon enough. Those are the really big ones. The other things that I would love to do are things I either haven't started yet or just like one-shots. One of my one of my birthday wishes of the last couple of years now has been to get a group of people together, get a bunch of booze, and run a version of Tomb of Horrors called the Tomb of Drunkards, where every time you die, you gotta take a shot. One year, one year I'll get to do that, but not right now. I think uh, that could be a little dangerous, depending on how antagonistic the GM is. Uh, I'm not that antagonistic usually. You just don't, uh, it's one of those things where, yeah, you can, you can be tough and brutal about it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be overly harsh about it. Cause there are, as long as the players play smart, they're going to be fine for the most part. And, you know, part of the drinking thing is knowing your limits. As in all things. So. It's not like we're going to be pushing anybody to the point of alcohol poisoning. We definitely would not want to do that. Have you ever dealt with an antagonistic GM? Thankfully, no. I have been blessed in that regard. Because I I just try to try to hang out with people that don't really give that sort of vibes. And typically once we get around the table, everybody's everybody's friendly about about a lot of things, and if I had somebody that was that openly antagonistic, I would absolutely try to take them aside and talk them out before um, deciding that that game was not for me. 
given your extensive background with GMing, have you been accused of being an antagonistic GM? Thankfully, no, actually. Despite my, despite the jokes that my friends put up, because I have TPK parties before, though not while trying to actively do so, I have gotten gotten a reputation for being fairly even-handed and and outgoing as a GM, so people tend to like my style, for the most part. If there is some sort of difference, I would hope that they would be able to talk with me about it, so that way things could get resolved. Otherwise, uh, nobody's gonna ha- nobody's gonna have fun with that. Are there any stories you're starting to write now? I'm not working on anything at the moment. As I said, since I'm kind of in between games, I'm not actively working on working on some stuff. I just wrapped up um, wrapped up a, a pro wrestling game I was running, which had scratched a particular itch, and that was. That was interesting, but that one was very, very much an organic thing, where I where I set up a bunch of pieces and kind of let the players go wild with it. Are you personally a fan of wrestling? Yes, I, I do follow the wrestlings. Off and on, though it's an on phase currently. That honestly helps with the storytelling. It helps me learn storytelling, because I watch, I watch the matches, I watch the backstage segments, and I can kind of analyze those to get an idea of one, how NPCs can work to a certain extent, and two, how to how to tell a story with a, a beginning, a middle, and a satisfying conclusion. Um, it's it's funny, because, you know, I'll watch it and I can kind of sort of critique, okay, yeah, I, I, that finish was alright, but that one, I'm, I don't get why they did that. The story they were telling doesn't match that ending. Were all the players in your game wrestling fans as well? Yeah, typically when you're running running a game that genre specific, that niche, uh, you're you're usually going to run into people or draw in the people who are already fans of it. Somebody who's never never watched wrestling before doesn't doesn't know it is going to have. It's not impossible. You can certainly playing worldwide wrestling. You can learn. Learn, learn the form and get an idea of what to do, but you're not, um, you're going to miss out on a, on some of the things, on some of the little foibles here and there, at least early on. And dependent on whether or not you're a fan of the genre, you, you just may not may not like the way the way it's set up because genre, because wrestling is very much the idea of built on the fact of you have these two guys or girls somewhere in between, uh, you know, settling their disputes in a in a gladiatorial arena, beating the piss out of each other, but not really, except when they really are, when somebody's really mad at somebody. Do you prefer wrestling RPGs as real or as sports entertainment? I really like the way Worldwide Wrestling does it, where you are putting on a wrestling show, essentially. Your wrestlers have their personas, their gimmicks that they, they portray, but they, ha- they are real people with their, with their own goals 
to either get promoted within the company or just to, you know, win your prize money and go home. You also have that rare guy. We had one guy who was playing the, oh, I totally am as great as my character, as my character's gimmick projects that he is and stuff. And so it was it was fun seeing him be an utter scuzzball sometimes and have everybody just give him loads of crap. We're going to start wrapping up, but before we do, I'm going to ask you some questions from the Pivo questionnaire, pioneered by Bernal Pivo. Alright. What is your favorite word? Ibigin. Any particular reason? Because I'm a giant Simpsons nerd, and the fact that Ibigin is just about an actual word at this point. What is your least favorite word? Slimy. Conjures images? Yeah, it just, it, it's one of those words that you just kind of, you can feel it almost viscerally. They're slimy. Ugh. Gross. Nobody wants to be slimy. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? <laughs> um, creatively? Something that produces a fantastic mental image. Spiritually, eh. I guess the idea that there, there, there actually is something out there that we're we're not alone with. Emotionally, just being able to be with my loved ones and be comfortable. And what turns you off? Creative-wise, nonsensical storytelling, something that doesn't doesn't make sense. Not even in a in a twist sense. I love me a good comedy. Don't get me wrong. I, I love absurd co- absurdist comedy. But for my storytelling stuff, usually not what I'm shooting for. At least when I'm trying to do something serious. Like I said, paranoia, all bets are off. I will include terrible puns. Uh, things will explode because somebody touched it the wrong way. Very different. Never had a bad game of paranoia because... Everybody goes in not knowing what to expect and has a beautiful time. Um, Turns me off spiritually. (sighs) Dogmatic religion, but that's a whole different thing. Uh, Emotionally, people being jerks for no reason, not willing to talk their, not willing to talk differences out, that sort of thing. That's very, very frustrating emotionally to me. What is your favorite curse word to hear from your players? All of them, especially if it's in reaction to something I've done, whether it's a really it's a fantastic reveal or some some reversal they weren't expecting. As long as it's on one of those, if they're if they're cursing because you know the dice are sucking and they're getting their asses kicked without my real input on it, eh, not so much. But anytime when they're cursing because of something something happening in the game due to story reasons then I'm super happy because I'm doing I'm doing something right, I feel like. What sound or noise do you love? Honestly? The sound of food frying is a wonderful thing and leads mostly to a good meal a lot of the time. What sound or noise do you hate? The sound of my alarm going off in the morning 
Anybody who tells you that they like that sound is a liar. A cheat and a liar. What game system would you like to attempt? I would love to actually be able to dive full-throated into Savage Worlds, because I've got uh, three Deadlands campaigns going on four that I'm sitting on right now that are that need to be used. Otherwise, I'm going to go nuts. What game system would you not like to attempt? As I said, I am just not going back to 3.5 or Pathfinder. Uh, I have I have seen what I can do with that system, and I have found it wanting. When your games conclude, what do you like to hear from your players? I always ask them if they've had a good time. That is literally the first thing I do after the end, after wrapping up a session. And I love hearing that they've had a good time. I love hearing about their favorite moments from their game, from the game. Thank you for joining us today at the Master's Studio. Where can our listeners find out more about you? You can follow me on Twitter at TheKillerGM. There I'll post, uh, I post musings about my games that I run, as well as little thoughts and tricks of the trade. Thanks once again for joining us. My pleasure. I've been your host, Moon Rules, and remember, that's not a plot hole, that's a chance for collaborative world building. I'm Molly, a trans girl living in Seattle. Hi, I'm Ashley, a trans girl living in Florida. And I'm Jules, a trans girl living in Sydney, Australia. We're hosting a new amateur anecdotal advice podcast about what it's been like for us being trans. We'll be covering topics such as coming out, realization, experiences with HRT, thoughts on surgery, romance, and family. You can find us at TM Radiocast on Twitter, and you can send in questions to transmissionquestions at gmail.com and transmissionradiopodcast.tumblr.com Join us three on what it's all about being trans in your mid-twenties through our own, frankly, weird and wonderful experiences.